And the communion does point to Jesus, so there could be some validity to that particular argument. Another theory is, well, perhaps Jesus is talking about the birth, the humanity of Christ. And certainly, I'll spare those who are about to have kids the details, but there is blood and water involved in that particular process. We'll move on very quickly. A third theory is, well, perhaps it's the death of Christ. Certainly, the blood is involved in the death of Christ. The blood and water, well, that, that may mean, if you remember, as Jesus was hanging upon the cross, the soldier came to pierce his side and what came out? Blood and water. Other theologians like to take a mixture. We don't just pick one. We'll pick B and C or C and D, either perhaps both the birth and the death of Christ or another, another camp would suggest the baptism of Christ and the death or perhaps my favorite, E, all of the above. Who likes to eat all the above options? You see, what John's really saying, and as I said, there is some, let's just acknowledge there's some confusion there at times as we interpret Scripture. We don't understand everything perfectly. But what we do understand perfectly is that John is saying, we have a witness. We have a testimony, and his name is Jesus. And everything points towards him. And certainly the sacraments, certainly communion and baptism point to him. Certainly his birth of a virgin, the prophetic scriptures that he fulfilled, it all points towards Jesus. Certainly his death on the cross all points us towards him. So I want us to focus, rather than talking about the signs themselves, to remind us where it is that the signs point us to. The substance of the signs is Jesus. They lead us to him. And as he said, this is what he's saying. And this is in verse 11, the testimony. We see the signs. We see Jesus that God would give us eternal life. Life in his son, verse 12. Whoever has the son has a life, has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And verse 13, which just one more verse is a key pillar and has been for us as we've studied through this particular book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in the name of Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that phrase, to know, is to be certain. That you may have certainty, that you may have clarity. He writes to give us those two things as believers. So what does this mean? He's saying that we have a witness. There's two aspects of this that I believe are worthy of our attention. And then there's one place in particular I want us to land this morning. So if you're taking notes, number one, Jesus is God's witness. Jesus is God's witness. What does that mean? What is John trying to tell us? I would suggest it is this. God has given us a sign. It is an undeniable sign. And it is a sign of which all humanity are eyewitnesses. See, each and every one of us and every human that ever lives, there will be a moment where we give an account before God. And the litmus test, regardless of what society tells you, it won't be, well, was he a good bloke? Did he do some good things? Did he leave the planet better than he found it? These are some of the cliches that we like to use in our modern vernacular. Now, the test will be this. What did he or she, what did you and I do with the witness and the sign? What did we do with 
Jesus. And as we've explored this particular letter, you see that John has this passion to talk about the witness and the reality and the certainty and the clarity that we have in Jesus. And we don't have the time to review all of it, but here's, here are some of the key aspects. And hopefully, as we've studied through this particular book, there has been for us as believers a certainty and a clarity and encouragement. Hopefully for, for some of us who've come along not believing, there's been a little more enlightenment as to who Jesus is. I think this is a wonderful book for those who are new in their faith, for those perhaps even exploring Christian faith, but it's a wonderful book for those who've been walking with the Lord their whole lives because we always need to be reminded of who Jesus is, the certainty and the clarity that we have in him. So very quickly, here's a few aspects that we've already explored. That there is, as we look at God's witness in Jesus Christ, there's a certainty of truth. And John makes that clear from the beginning. He writes and he says, there was Jesus who was from the beginning and we've seen him with our eyes. We've touched him with our hands. We've heard him, we've seen and heard. And it's that truth, that truth that's not uncertain, it's certain, that truth that's not vague or relative, the truth that's manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the truth that we proclaim to you so that you might have eternal life. And Jesus, of course, himself said that. He said, for this person in John 18, 37, for this purpose I was given birth, for this purpose I came into the world, that I might give witness to what is true. Every lover of what is true gives ear to my voice. See, John writes to give us a certainty in terms of truth. Not to say, well, there's a wilderness of various truths that you can pick to live your life by. You choose whatever, do whatever feels right to you. Jesus came to show us the way and not just to show us the way, but to become the way, to heal our blindness and point us towards the one who is truth. He writes to, to clarify the certainty of sin. In John chapter 1, verse 8, we spent some time exploring his wonderful statement that if any of us claim to, to live without sin, that we are in deception, we deceive ourselves. But chapter 1, verse 8 is quickly followed by chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. See, there's a certainty of truth. There's a certainty of sin, a certainty of salvation. And a number of times he talks about the blood of Christ. Christ is our propitiation. You see, if we take away the blood of the Christ, of the blood of Christ, if we take away the power of his blood, what have we got left? What's left if we remove the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Nice stories at best. He writes to give us a certainty of his love. One of my favorite passages, chapter 3, verse 1. See or behold the love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called his children. He wants there to be no uncertainty about the reality of this eternal Father of passionate love for his children. And then he writes, not just... Um, towards the end of the book as we looked last week, but he writes about this victorious Christian life, writing not, as we said last time, from some place of wealth and influence, having never seen trouble 
and trial that the Apostle John writes, having experienced all manner of trial, tribulation. He was beaten. His friends were martyred and murdered. He was thrown in burning oil. I mean, he'd seen some stuff. And yet still he proclaims, there's victory in the name of Jesus. You can kill my body, and yet still I will be victorious in him. So there's all this certainty, and that alone would be enough for me. That would be enough. I'd be like, that was worth reading. That was fantastic. That was good. That was a good book. I'm encouraged. There's a a renewed certainty in my life about truth and about his love for me and about the power of his blood. And yet there's something else that's too good for us not to wrestle a little bit. And it's right here in this passage that we read. You see, John's not just wanting us to know that Jesus is God's witness, that Jesus is God's testimony. Look look at this. I'll show you and then I'll explain why this is so amazing. In verse 9, in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Or another translation brings it out with even more clarity. It says, those who believe in Jesus, in the Son of God, They have this living testimony burning in their hearts. Isn't that a wonderful picture? You see, here's what John's saying. I've written to give you certainty and clarity that there is the witness of God. And it's written. It divides human history. It's it's there for all to see. No one will stand before the Lord saying, well, you know, you, you should have shown me more. You should have shown me a sign. He's given us a witness to his truth, to his love, to his power, to his forgiveness, to his majesty, and to his might. But that's not the end of the story. He says, not only is it God's witness, but this is our witness. This is our testimony. This is our burning, blazing fire within our hearts. Let me put it this way. You see, When I'm confused, when I'm caught up in doubt, when I'm struggling, when I'm wrestling, see, I have a testimony. I have a testimony of one who is truth. One who has promised that he would come and lead me like a good shepherd, faithfully, tenderly, that wherever I go, he is there and he will be with me and he will be for me. I have clarity and certainty in midst of confusion and change. When I'm in the midst of life and sin is so easily entangling, as it so often does for many of us, I would have need to despair, except that I remember and remind myself that not only do I have God's testimony, but I have his testimony burning in my heart. That his blood has come, that it's broken every chain, that I can walk into victory. He didn't just pray for the penalty of my sin. He gave me the power to overcome it and to live victoriously. See, Jesus is not only God's testimony, he's my testimony. You know, when, when I'm in the midst of those seasons and I'm wondering, God, well, just, does my life have any value? Why am I even here? Why am I on this planet? I remember I have a testimony that he loves me. And he loved me before the foundation of the world. That I am of infinite worth and infinite value to him. 
that when I'm in the midst of the battles, the enemies are all around, that I can remember that I have a testimony, that you and I have a testimony. It's not just God's testimony. It's wonderful. I have a testimony of a God who's with me, a God who will fight my battles. He will be my rear guard and my protector. I remember that there's a race to run and that when the going gets tough, that I can press into him and his grace is always sufficient for me. There's a prize we're living and dying for and nothing can hold me back if that is the purpose of my life. There could have been some more excitement there, but we'll press on. See, I want to remind us that we have the wonder of God's witness to the world, God's testimony, but then we have the power of his testimony burning in our hearts. <sighs> Hopefully, most of us would say, well, you know, that's pretty logical. That makes sense. And yet I would suggest this. I think that we need to remember and remind ourselves. I can't tell you how many times, and maybe that's just in my particular line of work, I hear from people questioning, why am I here? What's my purpose? I have no mission in life. Why am I here? Do I have anything that's worth living for? And I want to remind you of this reality. And just think about this. Just allow this truth to resonate in your heart. Because this is what the gospel tells us. The gospel says this. That you were chosen before the foundation of the world. That you were predestined in love to be his. That although you and I have made mistakes, that we've walked our own paths that we've blatantly denied Christ, that he came to this earth because he loved us. That he hung upon the cross and far worse than the physical anguish and torment was the reality that he took upon himself your sin and my sin. He took upon himself our shame so that he might clothe us in his righteousness and because of his great love and his mercy and his kindness that we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, that our destiny is to be exalted in all the universe as the objects of his affection. And that for every moment that we're on this planet, sucking in oxygen, that we have the glorious privilege of proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light. Now, that is a purpose worth celebrating. That is a mission that is worth remembering. I don't believe that you can grab that picture and then just go back to normal life. Normal life. I'm just going to pay the bills, TV dinners. This is great. There's something about this that's so radical that if we grabbed it, it would change everything. You see, we are made for so much more than we realize and understand. We were made to live with a burning witness and testimony within our hearts, to live for the glory of God on this earth. So many people living for so many things. I mean, just think about it. What's going to count at the end of your life? 
You stand before the Lord and say, well, Lord, I made millions for you. Lord, look at my childhood trophies. I won the year six athletics carnival. I mean, that was good. It's fantastic. Still reveling in those victories. What is it that's going to count as we stand before him? Did we live with that burning witness in our heart? Did we live with hearts that were passionately for him? You see, I, I know probably to some of you, I'm young to my kids, I'm ancient. So whether I'm young or old, I've learned in my few years on this planet that there's so few things that really count in light of eternity. So few things. And I've got to remember that because I can be so easily consumed by the little things around me that in eternity's light will hold no significance. And all that counts is using whatever I have, whether it's little, whether it's much, whether it's in good times, whether it's in bad times, whether it's in health, whether it's in sickness, using every breath I have to proclaim the glory of who He is. To love Him with a burning witness in my heart. And so really, this is where I want us to land this morning. We're going to have communion, and it's a bit of a long landing strip, just to warn you, don't get too excited. But the Lord has really been stirring my heart in this particular area, and, and, and I always want to allow God to do whatever He needs to do. So this is my personal space, and I'm hoping that something in there is going to encourage all of us in this space. Living with a burning passion, living with a burning witness. I had a meeting earlier this week, group of pastors. We've met a few times, and there was probably um, 20 to 30 people there. We were around tables. It was a good time of fellowship, and we said, well, let's just pray for one another. And there was probably four or five guys around my particular table. And as we began to pray, there was a pastor on the other side of the table. I won't mention any names. And he just began to weep. And to be honest, when I saw that, I was like, oh, goodness gracious. This is embarrassing. That was my first thought. Like, we're here to pray and this guy's, this guy's weeping. You know, thinking of ways that I could kind of just calm it down a bit. You know, for his sake, he's embarrassing himself here. And then as he began to weep, he began to just, just pray. He said, I oh, just, we're praying and just the presence of God came upon me and there was this overwhelming sense of his blood. Like he shed his blood for me. He hung on the cross. He's just weeping and weeping. And it went from this, you know, this personal sense of just who Jesus is to, you know, but, but he, he shed his blood for, for the people all around me, for our city. And I mean, it, was, it went from being me being concerned for his mental well-being to me being concerned about the state of my own soul. I think I'm, I'm just not living with this passion. God, where has this passion gone? I mean, if this, if this is true and I believe it with every fiber of my being, then shouldn't this be the burning passion of my heart? Shouldn't it be? Shouldn't it be this burning witness? Not just a knowledge thing, but this, this passion in my heart. And, you know, there's been moments in my life where I've, I've felt that strongly. And you know, there's something about going overseas and on mission trips that particularly as Western people can just stir your heart, and press all your buttons in all the good ways. And I remember once we were on mission in India and we'd actually gone there to train a group of pastors 
And there was one of the pastors there who said, look, can I take you into some of the slums of Mumbai? I want to show you a work we're doing there. They planted a church in the midst of the slums of Mumbai. And we gathered. There was a group of probably uh, one to 200 people. And they had a, a church service literally right there. And one of the guys who lives in the slum, he picked up his guitar, which you could see was his prized possession. And there he was in all that you could imagine, the the uh, experience of Mumbai slums, the dirt and the filth. And here he was with a guitar that was nothing in terms of a Western mindset, missing a few strings. And yet he began to worship and tears flowed down his cheeks. And it was the most incredibly anointed worship time. It was a privilege to just be there and see these people who had nothing. And yet they had everything. And it's such a challenge to us in the West. It is. See, but they're the seasons, aren't they? It's when you've lost everything and praise is still flowing from your lips that you realize that you've got what really matters in this life. There's another trip some years later to Thailand. I took a team over there. We did a number of, of different things and just another one of those moments, we went to one particular home and a, a pastor who lives in rural areas of northern Thailand, and he just felt from the Lord to adopt orphan boys, to start a home to adopt orphan boys. There was five, six, I think, from memory of these boys, ranging from six years of age to probably early teens, 12, 13. And they said, look, we just want to lead you in a time of worship. There's about six or seven of us on the team. We said, great. And all of us just stood in awe as these young boys. And they poured their heart out to God. Young kids that in the world had lost everything. And when we came back, everybody, as we shared on the Sunday, everyone in the team, without fail, said, you know, what was the highlight of the trip? It was seeing those young boys worship. It was seeing the passion in their hearts. It was seeing people who had nothing in this life Hang on to him like he was the only thing that mattered because he was. You see, I read through the scriptures and I see these examples. I see the woman with the alabaster box and she comes with his passion for Jesus. He is my everything and I'm laying my everything at his feet. And there are the Pharisees just shushing her. And I think, which picture am I? Am I the woman or am I the... The guy standing back saying, oh, just, just tone it down a bit. You know, you're embarrassing yourself here. Just easy. You know, you know, just. But surely that's the picture of our Jesus. This Jesus who is worth our everything. And, you know, I, I hear all the time that God's doing good things. I hear Christians talking about, oh, did you, did you hear that latest worship song? It's fantastic. It's amazing. Did you get to that conference? Wasn't that conference incredible? Did you hear that sermon? And they're all good things. But where is it that people are burning with a passion for him? Where are the believers just, you know what? Like David said, my heart and my flesh cry out for you, God. Like a deer panting for water. Like if I don't get you, I'm going to die. You're worth more than anything. Anything this world could offer is as nothing compared to knowing you. Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said, you're doing so many good things. 
You know your scriptures. You're testing those who claim to be apostles and they're not. But you've lost your first love. And he says, unless you return, I'm going to remove your lampstand. So you've got to realize this. If you don't have the passion in your hearts, nothing else counts for anything. Forget the rest. Come back to your first love. That's the call. That's the privilege. That's the priority. That we would be a people with a burning witness in our hearts. Jesus is God's witness. He is of the truth, love, of his plan of sin and salvation. But Jesus is our testimony. Is he your testimony? Take the world, but give me Jesus. Do we live with that passion? And as I said, I'm just sharing my heart this morning. I'm sharing what God is challenging me in. What is it that I seek with greater passion? Is it the wealth of this world or is it the riches of his grace? Which is it that has the greatest appeal for me? Is it the pleasures that this life can offer or is it the pleasure of knowing him? The greatest gift of ever. What do I place more confidence in? Is it the money that I have in my bank account, my investments, or is it my faithful father who promised to supply all my needs? Where do I get joy? What dominates my thinking? Where is my passion? And if I'm perfectly honest, I regularly fall short. But that's my prayer this week. God, stir the flame a fire in my heart. Even if it gets a bit crazy. So if I get a little emotional, if I get a little excited, don't come and calm me down. Just pray more. The woman with the alabaster box. Let's have some more of that. God, break us out of our boxes because we're so passionately hungry for you. I'm so desperate to see God do something in our city. But you know where it's going to start? It's always going to start here. A people who are willing to say, God, let me live with that burning witness. Don't let me nibble from the table of this world for one moment longer. I want just the riches that you give, the riches of your grace. Can we pray together? If, there's, if the worship team can come back, that would be helpful. We're going to do communion and we're going to do it in a different way intentionally. But I just had this sense this morning, knowing what God was leading me to encourage us in. And, and it's so good at times to come and just gather together as family. We gather around the outside of the auditorium. We take the bread and the cup in that way. It's a good thing. It's a blessed thing. I love it. But at other times, you know, there's, there's an invitation for us to just come forward and to kneel. And so I'm going to need the board uh, and the elders for those who are here and available to help distribute the elements. But I just have this sense that as we're coming forward, as we remember who Jesus is, that he'd remind us not only of God's great witness and God's great testimony, but there'd be a reminder of the testimony that we have in him. A testimony, nothing else compares to that. You could make millions of dollars. You could climb the highest heights that this world could offer. And if he's not in it, you've gained nothing. So just as we kneel, that's the sense. For those who would like to join me, you can join me in just saying, God, 
I want to live with that burning witness. Let my heart burn for you again. And Jesus, I just pray as we come to your table, I thank you that we come freely. We come not because we've earned it or could ever earn it, but we come because of the radical power of your love. You made a way for us. You've called us to live for so much more, to live for the glory of your name, to pursue you above every other love in our lives. God, I pray that as we take your bread, the bread and the cup representing your body and your blood, as we remember you, Lord, that you would set hearts ablaze again. Father, that we would return to our first love. I pray that as we kneel in awe and wonder before you, God, that we would rise again as the burning ones. Hearts aflame and burning with passion for your love, God. And and whatever there is that may have just, just dampened our love and our passion, maybe it's problems, maybe it's success, maybe Whatever it is, God, I just pray that there'd be a breaking off of all those things. That we would be your passionate bride. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just come this morning. And as we recommit our lives to you, do whatever you desire to do.